the training throughout the country lots of different times and there's always all kinds of stuff that chewed in to the time. They said, Dave, you've got one hour to teach or, or three hours or six hours, whatever time they had for me. And, I, and then very often when I got up to start, the time was half gone. And uh, they said, well, that's a problem. I said, it's not a problem for me. You gave me two hours and I will use two hours. So <laughs> if we start at, it's not we're over when we're over. No, no, you gave me two hours. So we can start whenever you want. It's no sweat off my back. <laughs> oh, you poor people. <laughs> I'm, I'm very, very happy to be here this morning. And um, we're going to go to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in two portions, Romans 8 and in 1 Corinthians 14. But we're going to start in Romans 8. And um, so, Father, I thank you for this morning, for the privilege of being here, for your spirit and your word. And I pray that you will be glorified. Thank you. Amen. First, I got something for free for you. Uh, and, and that is <laughs> three things to be careful of. Three ways to kill a move of the Holy Spirit. If you want to know how to kill a move of the Holy Spirit, this is how you do it, okay? You have personalities. You say, this move of the Spirit is, oh, that's because of Larry. Oh, if Larry wasn't there, Larry's great, a great teacher, preacher. This is fantastic. We have to have Larry there. Where's Larry, 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 Larry? You'll kill it. God will move in and through people and do crazy, amazing things. And then people think we have to have that person so we have crazy, amazing things happen. We make a mistake. Don't do that. And so the person thinks he's got to be, he or she's got to be there, or other people think he or she's got to be there. It's the mistake. Personalities. Be careful of what you think and what you hear when you're looking for a personality. Number two, formulas. What is the formula to, for discipleship? What is the formula for church growth? What is the formula to do whatever? Formulas are great for things that aren't living and moving. They're great for when you build a house and you got a two by four, it's supposed to stay there all the time. Formulas are not so good for life and for the church. No. So when, when we think and we look for, okay, what's the formula? What's the pattern? Danger, danger, danger. No, no. And number three is money. We would do this if we had money. We would do that if we had money. Because then, if you had money, you don't ask the Lord anymore. Because you have money. And so the dictator, the informer of everything is money. Do we have money or don't we? Let's do this. God told us to do this. Let's do this. Wait a minute, do we have money? No. Okay, I guess God didn't tell us to do it. No. So we have to learn how to hear God and obey God. And there's times when there won't be money and he'll say, I want you to do it anyway. Other times you'll have a schwack load of money. And the Holy Spirit will say, no, don't. But we got the money. I didn't say you didn't have the money. I said, don't. We need to learn to listen to the Lord and not have different conditions that say, well, this is what it sounds like or this is what it looks like. So, okay, that's for free. Now, as you know, we've been missionaries in Rwanda for a long time and some of you heard the stories of the, of the footballs or soccer, whatever. 
So John Paul was our disciple. He came to Canada here and we discipled him for 17 months. He went back to Rwanda. We continue in relationship with him, connecting on a regular basis and sharing the Lord with each other, praying for each other. I don't tell him what to do. He doesn't tell me what to do. I'm not above him and I'm not below him. We are peers. He is my younger brother and we are together in the Lord. I walked that way with a few other men from different parts of the world. Another one is in Rwanda, who's been a leader for many, many years. And the first time when I prayed that specifically over us, because we meet every week to pray, and he says, he, he just couldn't talk after a bit. I says, what is it? And he says, your prayer. You prayed that we would be one, not you above me or me above you, but together, absolutely together. He says, it's profound. It's profound. So in discipleship and in training, we don't try and tell people what to do or how to do it. We just ask them, is, did, are you, I'm assuming you're doing what you're doing because the Lord told you to do it. Oh, oops, I didn't actually ask the Lord. Ah, then we have a problem. So that's how discipleship works for us. That's our formula. <laughs> ask the Lord. So in the formula, in Rwanda, they says, can you help us disciple the children? We need to reach the children, don't have a plan or strategy. I'm not a children's guy, but guess what? I know the one who is, and that's the Lord. And he says, you want to be blessed, take care of my children. And so from there came the idea to do use soccer to disciple kids. Now on the pitch on a Saturday morning, uh, we call it Saturday school instead of Sunday school, 98% of the kids on the pitch have never been in their church. Just in case you think we're discipling the kids from the church on the soccer field, we're not. 98% have never set foot in a church building. But they'll come to the soccer field because we have the ball there. And so as this was happening, and John Paul came to me and he says, Dave, um, I've, I've, you, you've got to help me. You've got to help me uh, to, to get together material for training for these kids uh, because that's the missionary's job. Oh, is it? I says. That's the missionary's job, to provide the training for the kids in Rwanda. Yeah, that's how it works. Don't you know? Mm, I don't think so. So after a bit, I says, okay, let me help you with that. So I put my arm around him, and I says, Father, we need training material for the children here in Rwanda. John Paul knows you. He knows the spirit. He knows the kids. Help him write it. Amen. He says, that's your idea of help? He says, yep. Let me know how it's going. The next week, he says, I need help to explain the Trinity to kids, seven and eight years old. How can I do that? I need a real deep thinker to explain the Trinity. I says, let me help you with that. So I put my arm around him. I says, Holy Spirit, John Paul needs to explain the Trinity to the kids. Will you help him? Amen. He says, you're some kind of help. The next week, John Paul comes up and he says, you see this? This is leather or material on the outside. There's thread, ties it together. Every ball is hand-stitched. There's thread. So we have the leather, the thread, and the air is everywhere. You don't see it, you don't feel it, but you know it's there and it's put inside and pressurized. So we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, there's the Trinity. Isn't that crazy simple? I'd have never thought of that. Never in a million years. 
The Trinity explains it. Seven-year-old says, I get it. <laughs> the pastor's all lined up. Can we use that illustration? It's so simple, it hurts. Yes, isn't it though? So we've been designed to be filled with the Spirit. We've been made like this as human beings to be filled with the Spirit so that we'll really bounce. And some of us are filled with the Spirit and we bounce. And others of us also filled with the Spirit. Oh, that's different. What's different? One is more filled than the other. The other thing that happens with the soccer ball, when you play it with it, it loses its air. So in a game of soccer, you and I are all part of the game. We're in the game. We're the ball getting kicked around. That's who we are. And we lose air. That's our life. What a miserable life, isn't it? I love it. You see, being the ball, I can cheer for both sides. I can cheer when there's a good play. Right? Good kick. Woohoo! Good save on the goalie. I win. No matter what, I win. And so that's how we teach the kids on the pitch about life. Not about whether you have the most goals or not. We're friends and we're together. And God gives illustrations in anything. Now, this morning, we want to read Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 6. And today I want to talk about, just give you a heads up to it, we're going to talk about tongues. The gift of tongues. And we're going to talk about praying in tongues, and we're going to talk about tongues in a public setting. Just giving you the heads up. That's what's coming down the pipe. If you want to leave, you can do that now. If you want to shoot me, you can do that now. God's Word is amazing. All my life, I've been reading God's Word, sometimes more than others, sometimes listening and sometimes not. But I observed in my early life that I was born again, but I was powerless to be victorious. Absolutely powerless to be victorious. It was strange to me, because everybody said that I have the power to be victorious. God's word has the power to be victorious, but yet it didn't, wasn't my experience of life. And I asked, what about this Holy Spirit thing? And they said, well, yeah, the Holy Spirit's come, but it's called cessationism. You see, we believe the work of the Holy Spirit doesn't happen anymore now that we have his written word. If you have only the word, you dry up, which reminds me, where's my water? <laughs> you dry up. You can read the word all you want, but try and swallow it. It just doesn't go down. So what do we do then? Well, we need the Holy Spirit. Well, if, you have, if we need the Holy Spirit, then why don't we have the Holy Spirit? If you have only the Holy Spirit, you blow up. You disintegrate. Bad things happen. Because it's all good. It's all in the name of the Holy Spirit. Isn't this wonderful? When you have the Holy Spirit and the Word, you grow up. Spirit and truth. I used to go cross-country skiing, and one ski I wrote truth, and the other one spirit. Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. So Lord willing, today we will hear truth in the Spirit and the Spirit in truth. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, if you are not in the flesh, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed... The Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Father, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if your Holy Spirit does not teach us something today, we won't learn anything. If your Holy Spirit does not impact us today, we got nothing. Help us. Amen. Those are big, fancy, doctrinal, theological words. And I'm not that guy, that theological, break down the word guy. The Apostle Paul was the guy who went to the government. And from the government got authority because the religious leaders had given him lists of names of people that they didn't like. They said, these are the bad ones. And so Paul, these are the ones who say Jesus is Lord. And Paul says, no, 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 Jesus is not the Messiah. And so Paul went commissioned from the religious leaders to the government because the church did not have authority to kill. He went to the government with this list of names, and he says, yeah, yeah, okay, you can go kill them. Now, in Rwanda, when I teach this, it's interesting because I say to them, Paul represents the Interhamwe. Paul represents the guy who came to your house with a list and took your wife and your kids out, and it happened that way. And he went and had him killed. See, no church has the authority to kill. Government does. So Paul came with the authority from the government to kill, took your kids and killed them. Raped the women, killed them. This is what he did. Then Paul is born again. That same Paul now is coming back and preaching to you guys. How's the listening working today then? You're right, it doesn't work. just doesn't work. Then you read about Paul, how he had to be lowered outside of a window because people were trying to kill him. Do you know why? you know why? This is the guy that killed my family. He thinks he's going to come here and preach? I guess not on my watch. And then there's a group of guys that made a pact that we won't drink or eat or sleep until we kill Paul. Why the hate? There is a good reason for the hate. 
But now he comes and preaches this hope, this we can be born again, and we can get a second chance. And the people are trying to listen to it, and it doesn't go down so good. We need to understand the context. And God uses this guy, Paul, to write a huge part of Scripture. I could give you a long, long list of things that's wrong with me. Things I've messed up. Wrongs I've done. My wife would attest and she'd say, oh, that list is not complete yet. I can add to that. (laughs) In Rwanda, John Paul would say to me, Dave, why do you always remind us of how you've been bad, a bad person and a bad husband? I said, because you need to understand who I am apart from Christ. You need to understand that if God's going to use a guy like me, he can use anybody. And that's what Paul says. You see, we have him often introduced as a great Apostle Paul. He wouldn't stand for it if you tried that. He would say, hold the fort. I'm the least. And he meant it. I'm the least worthy. He meant it. I don't deserve to preach to you. I don't deserve to bring you Jesus. And everybody would say, amen. And he meant it. And he says, but God chose me. What can I do? So in the book of Romans, an assignment, a formula. Here's a formula for you, okay, if you want one, right? When John Paul was here, we trained him for 17 months, and I says, here's your assignment. I want you to get a journal and read through the book of Romans in one sitting, once a week for three months. As if you stop halfway through, you got to start over again. And then in your journal, I want you to interact with God, with the Holy Spirit, and tell him what you see and what you wonder about and questions you have. And you process with the Lord the book of Romans. And so for three months, he did it. Sometimes he announced that he was halfway through the book and he's going to finish it later. I said, start over. It's a letter. Romans is a letter. You don't stop a letter in mid-thought. You finish the thought. It's a long letter, but it's a letter. Somebody told me last weekend that they talked with John Paul and asked him, what was it that made you who you are? He says, that assignment. He says, God grabbed me by the ears, changed me, rewired me completely. God's word, God's spirit. So, this is Paul writing in Romans. So then, what happened is the church at the time had their rules. This is how we do church. You people can come so far, no more. You're wearing the wrong shirt. You've got this. This isn't right. That isn't right. You can go here. You can't go there. Everything was set. It was structured. The detailed people loved it. You know, the meticulous detail. Lynn would have loved it. I love you, my dear. But see, the, we need... One of the frustrations my parents had as we became more charismatic, they said, how do, you, how do you do that? You don't know how long, the, they sing the song over and over and over again. What is that? Or, or you don't know how, how long this is going to go, that's going to go. Don't you know there's, there's a way to do church and this is not it? 
Yeah, this is the struggles we have. So what happened is when Jesus says, I died so you can be free, and it's, we just read in here that the law never gives life, but the spirit gives life. So how do we do church now when all the, the rules are thrown out the window? And Jesus says, let me be your leader. Let me be the head. Okay, but you're dead. Yes, but I sent my Holy Spirit. Why don't you do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do? One thing you won't find in the, so the epistles or the letters that are written, because people kept trying to do church and they didn't know how to do it. It got messed up all the time, all the time. And then they wrote letters to Paul or other guys and said, what are you doing in this situation? What are you doing in this situation? And they'd write back. What you won't find in Paul's letters is a formula for your church structure. You won't find it. You see, we go to formula. Okay, but Dave, we have this, we have this, we have this. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. We're putting an awful lot of weight on a stick that can't bear that kind of weight. The stick is there, but it's not a formula for how to do church. The formula is why don't you pray and do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. And so in that process, the Holy Spirit has the audacity to pour out his gifts on everybody. I mean, what do you do with that, right? We all know women can't preach. I mean, it's fairly simple, right? We know that. That's the rule. We all agree. Women need to be quiet. What do we do with that? Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit thinks he's God. And God thinks he's God, and he gives the gift of preaching to women. I mean, what is he doing? And he gives them a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom. What? And the, the men are offended. We've got to put them down. This will never fly. And I asked the Lord, Lord, should we have women pastors or not? That's the response he gave me. I asked again. Four or five days later, I'm asking. I says, what's the deal? Am I asking the wrong question? He says, ah, now we're getting somewhere. Ask me. He says, maybe how you treat pastors or you think of pastors is not my idea and so then why would you want to put a woman into something that's already not my idea for a man hmm. it's scary stuff but I found something amazing did you know I've heard a nine-year-old kid get up and preach an amazing message fantastic I've heard young women and girls give testimonies and, and preach and pray and things happen. And I've stopped asking the question, are you a man or a woman? I'd rather ask, is what you're saying true? Is it the truth? And I'll listen to the truth for anybody. But I need to discern, is this truth or not? And I don't assume just because you're a man, because you have a position or a title, that you're speaking truth. That's another mistake we make. But do you know who preached this? Do you know who said that? I know, but it doesn't line up with God's word. But you can't say anything. You know who this guy is? It doesn't line up with God's word. So, in all that, we need to be gracious. And by God's grace, it's something I will learn before I die. 
I'm not trying to change anybody's structure or anything. But we each need to go to the Lord and ask him, what is he saying? That's what we need to do. So in this whole mess, the churches didn't know what to do. So then we go to 1 Corinthians. And Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians because they had everything going wrong. It was a wealthy church. Uh, they were the metropolis, people coming and going. And, and anything, it was a worldly community. Anything, everything that you wanted was available to you, there it was. And so the church is, is all over the map. And in the middle of all that, everybody's getting up and saying, look at that, we don't have to have rules um, because we don't have to have a man to be a preacher necessarily. Anybody can. And so people would get up, and, and women at the time apparently took, took liberties and things. And so Paul at one point says, look, why don't you just stop, okay? Just stop for a minute. It's not a formula. It's a letter written to a specific people in a specific time for a specific situation. Just stop for a minute. But the thing that is universal is this teaching on the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit should work. And it's amazing, amazing, amazing. And so he says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Or do you not know, brethren, that I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married... No, no, sorry. That's the wrong portion. That's in Romans chapter 7. Try again. 1 Corinthians 14. <laughs> Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Prophesy could be telling something from the future, revealing something, or it can be preaching, prophetic preaching. Prophetic preaching in a way that you listen to it, you hear this is God's word, and you realize that your life won't be the same from this day forward because you've heard God on a subject. That's a prophetic word given, disguised as a sermon. I know of a person who would preach once in a while and the leader of the church sat down with him and says, you know, we have a problem. And he says, what's that? Well, every time you preach, we're all edgy and we can't, it doesn't work. So we've either got to change how we live or you've got to stop preaching. And so they say, so you've got to stop preaching because we're not going to change how we live. Prophetic preaching will cause us to not be comfortable where we are. So then we're not comfortable with the preaching. Hmm. So that you may prophesy for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. But one who understands, but one, but one who understands, but no one understands. But in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you would all speak in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Okay. There's two types of tongues that are given. One is a public tongue, and the other one is a tongue in a prayer language. Let me relate this to marriage. My wife and I talk about a lot of stuff. I'd say everything. 
And I'd say everything that we talk about privately, uh, pardon me, uh, that I talk about publicly, we first talked about privately. But there's stuff we talk about privately I will never, ever, ever talk publicly. Am I right? There's stuff earlier on in our marriage that I would share publicly because I was so excited and thrilled my wife would say, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> That's not for public consumption. I learned that. People around me, they don't, no, 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 you don't talk, no, 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 no. Will you get that? That makes sense, right? This is your life with the Lord. It's not all for public consumption. He shares, he shows us some things that are so precious and so rich. We get so ex I get so excited and jubilant, I have to tell everybody. Well, there's an anointing to preach, and there's an anointing to shut up. May I know the difference. So, when I was a child, testimony time, okay? We're switching to testimony time. I'm giving a word of testimony now on tongues. A public tongue uttered must have interpretation in a public setting. If it doesn't, then either the tongue guy was wrong or the interpreter guy was wrong. But somebody's messing up. That needs to happen. Okay? Praying in tongues is a lot more flexible because it's just you and the Lord. So it's not that big a deal. When I was asking questions as a youth of the people in our church, God bless them, and I asked questions about where is the power to live victoriously and what about the Holy Spirit? And they kept saying, well, that was, you know, that's finished now that we have God's word. Read the word, do this, do this, do this, and then it'll be good. Then you'll be victorious. Chris, you'll get over your addictions if you just do this, do this, do this, do this. And it doesn't work. And you walk out more hopeless than ever. Trying to do the thing that you so desperately want to do. Let's walk with the Lord. And you can't. And somebody else will tell you why not. You're the problem. So. I was taught. Anybody who spoke in tongues was a sign you had demons. I go, how is that possible? Paul's talking, but he speaks in tongues more than anybody else. Even was he demonized? Don't ask questions, Dave. Don't ask questions. Why am I in bondage? Why can't I be set free from my addictions? You're the problem. I know I'm the problem. How do I get rid of me? Well, we just read that in Romans, didn't we? You're born again. Okay, I am born again, but why am I not rid of me? What can I do? When different stories I will leave, but we were at Calvary Chapel before anybody else was there. Lynn and I were there. And our life was a mess. The kids and the church, everything, everything, everything was broken. Ron McLean and Keith Miners and John Micklefield would come down once every three weeks. They'd walk into the building and we'd spend three hours together. They'd walk around babbling some gibberish that I didn't know. 
And then they would look me in the face, say, Dave, this is your battle to fight, soldier on, and they'd go home. And I says, I, I don't, it's not working. Ron says, Dave, you need to pray in tongues. I says, I guess not. I don't want to have demons. He says, where do you get that from? He says, read the scripture. Corinthians, Romans, read the scripture. Ask the Holy Spirit what you should do. He says, but how do I pray in tongues? This is how he trained me. Great trainer. Just do it. And he left. What's the formula? I've been, I've seen it when people say, well, this is how you pray in tongues. We'll get you going. We'll prime the pump a bit and get it going. Mistake, wrong, wrong, wrong. I will get up and say, stop it. Cheapening everything. Stop it. So, he says, just do it. Okay, what do I do? I don't know what to do. So I start, well, I go walking and praying. This is my life. I walk and pray. As I'm walking and praying, he says, Lord, this tongues thing, apparently it's from you. That's what Ron says. I don't know if I agree with him, but whatever. I'm going to walk and pray. And I got worship songs going in my ears as I'm going. And as I'm singing the songs, and sometimes I know the words and sometimes I don't. And then I make up words as I sing, but I keep going. And the Holy Spirit just puts these thoughts in my head and says, Dave, what are you doing there? What are those words you're using? Well, I'm singing a song. Okay, but those aren't the words in the song. Well, no, I forgot the words. Okay, so you made up words because you forgot the words and it's okay? It's, it's okay to do that? Well, yeah, okay, good, cool. Keep walking. So I'm walking and praying and I got this David Lewis song going on my ear where he, he's singing and he goes to some indigenous thing, singing and beating on a drum and then he prays in tongues on this, on the, in the song. I mean, this is just wrong. We all know that. That got raised in the proper church where I got raised. So I'm walking and praying. I'm saying, oh, what is, what, what is this? What is this? And so I know the answer. It's in fine on the plot each debate, right? Nuvadi krak vorogwadona. Ekwan plotty trading and what the labor got. The shafty center did this crack from him. The Holy Spirit says, Dave, uh, low German is not the heavenly language. <laughs> My wife always said it was because it takes an eternity to learn, she said. <laughs> okay, so it's not low German. No. And I never got the sense that I had to pray in tongues. You see, Chris, it's not that you have to do this. He says, you get to. And he said, I want you to understand something about our relationship, my relationship with you. You need to understand. So I'm walking, and then he says to me, Dave, when your son, first son was born, and you'd come home, Late in the evening, he was in the crib sleeping, and you'd pick him up and talk to him because you hadn't seen him all day, even though he's sleeping. And he's, what are the words you use talking to your son? English? Low German? Baby talk. Baby talk? Yeah, gibberish. He says, did your son understand what you were saying when you told him about your day in baby talk? And then English, then baby talk? He says, absolutely. 
is when your son was crying and hurting and you picked him up and he was talking to you in baby talk and you talked back in baby talk, did you hear his pain? Yes. Did he hear your comfort? Yes. And he says, and that's okay. Or are you telling me it's not okay? That's okay. And so I kept walking and praying, coming to understand the amazing love of the Father. As he washed over me, and he washed over me. And then I said a word that I didn't know before. And instantly shame came over me. And the Lord says, what's that? That's shame, I feel shame. Why? Because I made up a word because I want to be spiritual. He says, I thought we talked about making up words. It was not a big deal, right? Okay. Tell me how you feel. As I feel out of control, hopeless, helpless, I feel like a little kid. And he says to me, what do I say about when you feel like a little kid? Like a little child? That's when you're starting to get to where you need to be. So my child, talk to me in your baby language. And I'll hear you. And I started speaking in tongues and praying in tongues. Oh. And I was washed over me. I was free. I was free. I was free. I told my Baptist wife, I'm praying in tongues now. She says, do I have to too? <laughs> no, I'm just telling you, I'm okay if you do. You see, it wasn't okay before. And two, three weeks later, she comes and I'm praying in tongues. Hmm. Her Baptist father asked one time, Do you, are you guys charismatic? And yeah. He's like, do you, do, you, do you hang with people like who pray in tongues and stuff? Yeah. He says, do you pray in tongues? She says, yeah. He says, I guess it's okay. I guess it's okay. We didn't have to convince her dad. We didn't try to. We just do what our Father in Heaven tells us to do. And love her dad. Love them. In Rwanda, First time I ever preached in Rwanda. Before I got up to preach, before I got up to preach, a guy gets up and, and there's all the academics are sitting on one side of the congregation and all the, the powers that be on the other side of the congregation. And the church has got whatever, two million members with 2,500, 3,500 chapels, whatever. It's a huge thing. We're the first non-Swedish Pentecostal missionaries they have. And they all want to know, what's this guy going to say? I told them, I'm nobody from the middle of nowhere. Okay, so they all line up. Before I preach, a guy gets up and he says, Thus saith the Lord, God has sent us a prophet from Canada. This old Mennonite boy. We're the only white people there. 
And the Lord says, whatever you want to do anywhere in Rwanda, the answer is yes. We don't know what he's talking about, but whatever. So I get up to preach, right? And he says, we're a sophisticated congregation. We want PowerPoint and we want you to preach in English and it'll be good. So I get up and start to preach. The PowerPoint guys never worked PowerPoint before, so it's flashing all over the place. Um, I can see they don't understand me at all. And so I stop. When, I, when it's not working, I stop. So I stop in mid-sentence. My dutiful wife back behind me says, oh, Dave's in trouble. So she's sitting back there. What does she do? She starts praying in tongues. What else do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you ask? Don't know what to ask. We pray in tongues. And the Holy Spirit knows what we need to ask. And he knows what we need to do. We don't even know the question. Never mind the answer. Pray in tongues. So I'm walking around the platform and I'm praying and I'm kind of really up against it. And I start praying in tongues. And I'm praying in tongues into the microphone. I was informed of that later. Dave, you prayed in tongues into the microphone. Yep. What do you do when you're desperate? You don't care. I don't care what all the academics say. I don't care what all the leaders say. I'm desperate here. We found out three years later that when I prayed in tongues, something happened. Well, first of all, so this is a public tongue given. This is different from praying in tongues, me walking on the road. Different from praying in tongues in the closet. That's me and God. Now I'm praying to God in a tongue in a public meeting. It changes everything. Somebody has to interpret. Otherwise, there's confusion. I don't have a clue what, to, what I'm doing. I just know God brought me there. After I'm praying in tongues, one of the head kahunas gets up, stands in front of me, says, Dave, I know what to do. Oh, tongue interpretation. He says, turn off the PowerPoint, it's confusing. He says, we don't understand your accent, we need to translate. Jean-Paul, come translate for him. Turns to me, give us your word. Look at that. It's not a formula, except that if a tongue is given in public, somebody needs to interpret. It can be the same one who gave it, Somebody needs to interpret. It's a prayer. The same words I prayed when I walked and prayed, I prayed there just in front of people. It doesn't matter because I'm demonstrating how hopelessly, incredibly, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I'm praying in tongues. It's humiliating. This guy should know what he's doing. Three years later, the guy who told us we have a prophet, we had him in our home. We heard his story, amazing, amazing story. And he says, you know why we love you so much? That day when you preached that first time and you prayed in tongues, we hadn't heard anybody pray in tongues. Well, isn't this a charismatic church? You're a Pentecostal church. What do you mean? So, yeah, we don't pray in tongues. Are you Pentecostal or not? Yeah. But you don't pray in tongues? No. Why not? We forgot. And, he says, we didn't know a white man could have the Holy Spirit. And you get up there praying in tongues. What is this? What is this, Holy Spirit? You're in white people too. We didn't know. 
He says, and the Holy Spirit fell on the whole congregation. Confirming the word at first that God had sent us. Confirming in the Spirit. Confirming, confirming, confirming. Through all these people who didn't have a clue what they're doing. First and foremost, me. Not a clue. Just because you don't have a clue doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. I know one more story, just one. So we went to a church in Ramagana, eastern province. Before we got there, they baptized 200 people. So it was a happening thing, right? A lot of the people there would be people that were, again, guests of these people that got baptized. That service, we, they baptized 200 people. Three couples got married, and we dedicated 15 babies. Lynn says, I hope nobody dies. That's the only service we didn't have was a funeral. So I get up to preach, and Lynn had just given me this, my new Bible. And I had my other one that was well known to me, but she'd given me this Bible, and I was preaching from my new Bible. And I'm getting up there, and when you preach there, 40 minutes is a minimum. I mean, 30-minute preaching, you say, why do you even bother getting up? You've got to really have something to say. So I got up and I started preaching. And as I'm preaching, see, when you're preaching or talking, or even as you're sitting here, there's this conversation, and there's the one going on this way. We all have it happening. You just need to be aware of it. See, so the Holy Spirit's communicating with me this way as I'm preaching this way. So as I'm getting going and preaching, and, it, and I'm plowing, it, this is not working. The word is not working. It's not connecting. Nothing. I'm, not, I'm banging against the wall. And I think, I, well, it's got to be almost 40 minutes already. And look at the clock, and it was like seven minutes. So, oh, dear, this is not good. So I said, Lord, what do I do? It's not working. What do He says, I keep preaching. So I keep preaching. I'm reading the portion. I keep preaching. And, and what do I do? Lord, what do I do? Keep preaching. 10 minutes, 15 minutes. It feels like an eternity. What am I going to do? Lord, help me here. Don't you know? Lord, you need to intervene. You need to help me. I don't know what's happening. I'm crying as I'm preaching. So then I realized the problem. I don't really, I'm not that familiar with my new Bible. I got to get my old one. Lynn's got it. So I stop mid-sentence and I go back at the other Bible. Lynn knows now I'm in trouble. Dutiful Mennonite Baptist wife is praying in tongues. This guy needs help, Lord. I don't know what to do. So I get my old Bible out. Okay, now it's going to work. Go to a completely different portion of scripture. No way connected to the first one. There's no continuity anywhere. I'm reading this portion and I start preaching and I go, okay, now I'm getting into it, but I'm not. It's not working. Oh, it's only five minutes into this one. It feels like forever. So I just keep preaching, and the Lord says, keep preaching. I'm crying to him, keep preaching. I says, Lord, I'm dying here. Don't you care? He says, what do I do when you die? I finished preaching by God's grace, and I sat down, and I says to Lynn, there's no danger of me ever preaching that sermon again. Ever, ever, ever. I don't have a clue what I preached. It made no sense to anybody. And so we'll just call it a day. And she says, did you ask the Lord what he thought? Says, no. Why don't you ask the Lord? And then she says, oh. And look at that. 
that morning, 42 people came to the Lord. 42 people came to the Lord. He says, see, you have to die. It's not about you. The Lord is willing to take any schmuck, any schmuck, including this one, and use me. I trust we have some schmucks here. Then you're qualified. Oh, we trust we have some people here who've messed up in life, made every conceivable mistake you could make. Ah, you're well qualified. Well qualified. Messed broken marriages, second, third marriage. I mean, where is this? This doesn't make any sense. I know. Being born again. Who would give people like that, like me, another chance? Who would give Paul a chance after he did what he did? No matter who we are, we go to Jesus and he says, okay, now let's get to work. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. And Lord, if there's something that you wanted me to say, my wife would say, no, 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 that's it, Dave, it's enough. But the good news is, Lord, I know you can have people hear whatever it is they need to hear, whether I said it or not. Because that's who you are. You love us. We're your children. And you want us to understand how much you love us and communicate to us and through us if we just be honest with you. So Father, I bless this people, bless this community, and I pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. Amen.